You know, in, in 1884, there's this, a true story. This, this uh, a young guy, a young man died, and um, his, his parents, his grieving parents, uh, went to uh, meet with Charles Eliot, who was the president of Harvard at that time. And they wanted to establish uh, a memorial to their son that had died, and so they met with him, and, uh, and, and you know, Elliot met the you know, unpretentious couple in the, in the office, and they told him, hey, we'd like to, uh, you know, set up a memorial, and, uh, and, and he said, you know, well, maybe, maybe uh, yeah, what would you like to do? Um, and they said, well, we want to do something pretty big, and he's, he looked at him, and he's like, well, Maybe you're think, thinking of a scholarship or something like that. He's, they said, no, 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 no. We're thinking of something much, much more substantial, like a building. And uh, Elliot looked at them, and uh, in a patronizing tone, he told them, you, you, know, you know, he said, well, I think that's probably too expensive for you guys. And so the couple left, and uh, Elliot found out a year later that that couple had gone to and put, built this uh, memorial that became known as Leland, Stan- Leland Stanford Junior University, today better known as Stanford. They invested like $26 million in 1885. I know it doesn't buy, 26 million gets you nothing today, but in 1885, <laughs> that built a university because Elliot made an assumption about these people that they couldn't afford what they were gonna do, what, what they ended up doing. And I love the, the quote that, given half a chance, people often crawl out of the box into which we've relegated them. How often has that happened to you where you meet someone and you make an assumption about who they are, either for the positive or for the negative, and then once you actually get to know them, you realize you were wrong. <laughs> Typically, we do it to the negative more than the positive, right? We make assumptions about people that are incorrect, inaccurate, and don't really, that kind of put them in a box that they have to crawl out of on their own. It kind of raises the question, where do all these assumptions, why, where do, where do we make these assumptions? How come we're like this? And I think that the, the reality is, they come from four places. It comes from fear. We see someone and we are threatened by what they represent, so we assume something about them. Ignorance, we just don't know, so we make up stuff about them. It comes from pride because we're better than them, right? So we look down on them. Or it comes from selfish ambition where, where we're worried that they might, they might uh, keep us from getting something that we want or else we want them to be something in order to get something that we want. And it's just not true. And I tell you this because I want us to understand that this is a part of human thought. It's not just like as it relates to humans relating to each other. This is uh, uh, the way we think. We make a lot of decisions and assumptions based on these four things. And um, the, the, the reality is that all day, every day, we're involved in making multiple decisions about things all the time, and they're often wrong, and it extends into our assumptions and decisions that we make about God, and in particular, the Holy Spirit. There's a group called the Barna Group, and in 2009, they ran a survey. They do a lot of surveys about... Um, you know, religious things. That's really the primary focus. And in 2009, they did a survey and they asked self-confessed, people who would, who would de- describe themselves as Christians, they asked this group of almost, I think it was just shy of 1,900 individuals. 
uh, about Satan and God and Jesus and the devil and the Holy Spirit. And they ha- asked them some questions. And this was, again, uh, people uh, who, 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 who call themselves Christians. And this is so interesting when I read this. What they found was that one-third of those people calling themselves Christians believed that the Holy Spirit is an actual living force. The overwhelming majority of those people calling themselves Christians believe that maybe he was a symbol of something, the Holy Spirit is a symbol of something or represents something, but not an actual thing. That's just people who call themselves Christians. And as I read that statistic, what hit me is, that's us here today. And I don't have any judgment on that, but I do want to talk to you today with you. If you're in that first, in that that group, in the the majority who says, I don't really know, I I kind of agree with you. Some of you are sitting here right now going, I'm shocked to hear that. I'm, I'm just... I'm blown away to hear that the overwhelming majority of people who call themselves followers of Jesus don't believe that the Holy Spirit is an actual thing. If you're in the group that says, yeah, that's kind of where I am, here's what I'm going to ask of you today. I want to ask that you would listen to what I have to say, what I believe the Spirit has brought me here to say to you today, with the understanding that we at K2 believe that the Holy Spirit is an actual living thing, a being that wants to have relationship and interaction with you on a daily basis and be part of every decision you make and every relationship you're engaged in. If you could just grant me, the, grant me that in our discussion this morning. Because that's what we believe here at K2. And if you're in that first third of the people who say, I believe that the Holy Spirit is an actual living being, I'm going to ask you the very same thing. Will you listen with the ears that understands that the Holy Spirit believes and the Holy Spirit wants to have an engaged relationship with you and be involved in every relationship that you're in, every decision you make? What I want to do as we move forward here is I just want to, I, I want to look at a passage. It's found in John chapter 14, and this is Jesus speaking to his disciples. And so I'm going to read this, and then we're going to kind of move into talking about the Holy Spirit. So it is verse 15. It picks up with this. It says, if you love me, you will keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he'll give you another comforter, that he may remain with you forever the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know and recognize him. But you know and recognize him for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, comfortless, desolate, bereaved, forlorn, helpless. I will come back to you. Here's the first thing I want to say. He said, Jesus says, he's talking to his disciples and, and clearly it's the near, nearing the last part of his life where he's going to be leaving the disciples behind. They're not really clear on all the details. And he says, I'm leaving, but I'm going to send, I'm going to pray to God that God would give you a comforter. First I say, obey the commands I've given you. I'm leaving and God's going to send a comforter. And so the first thing I want to say is this. My wife and I are in the process of like cleaning out our house. You guys ever do this? You purge, you get rid of the stuff that somehow, you, you know, you go down in the, the storage spaces of your house and you're like, holy crow, 
we have so much stuff. And so we're getting rid of stuff. We're KSLing things and we're giving things away and giving stuff to Goodwill. And I realized that we have all kinds of stuff in our house. And you, you have like the practical things, coffee cups and coffee makers and televisions and couches and blankets and things like that. The practical stuff you use every day, right? And then you, you, you have these other things that are like just, just for appreciation, pictures, and not a mirror. A mirror is helpful. A picture you just stare at and go, that's cool. Candles, all right, that's great. And well, less, you know, as long as there's no light, you know, but otherwise they just sit there to decorate your mantle. And one of the things that, that when we got married, Susie's aunt bought us this really nice comforter for our, our bed. It was really expensive. And I realized something about the comforter. A comforter is one of those items that you're not really supposed to use. Right? You actually put, what do they call those, duvets, I think? You put a duvet over it, right? And then when you go to bed and you want to be cozy and warm, you take the comforter off, you fold it up and put it somewhere so it doesn't get ruined in your sleep. And then you wake up the next day and you put it back on the bed so it looks great. Here's what I want to, you to understand. Jesus says he's going to send a comforter. He's not talking about a comforter that has no relationship to us. It's just for decoration, He's talking about a comforter who's actually wanting to be engaged in our lives with us. Something that affects us on a daily basis. The coffee cup, the coffee maker, the couch, the TV. That's the kind of comforter he's talking about. And it's really interesting when you read the passage because the first thing he says is obey my commands and then I'm going to send a comforter. And you just go, well, okay, so let's just strip that back a little bit because what he's saying is this. Why does he need to send a comforter? Well, you look at the lives of the disciples during the course of their life after Jesus left. He asked them to do very difficult things. He didn't say go build your, your wealth and, and get a bigger house and a new job and a nice car, a camel maybe. But he's, you know, he, what they were led into was to do it do things that they didn't really want to do in the human nature. His commands were to do difficult things that left them often ostracized from the community. Most of them died horrible deaths, horrible, horrible deaths, saying, obey me and I'm going to send this comforter. And here's what, what what's, he's called the counselor, helper, intercessor, advocate, strengthener. And then he says this, and then I'm going to send the comforter that the comforter can remain with you forever. So if someone's going to remain with you forever, does that suggest a passive, not involved relationship? No. See, what he's saying is I'm going to send someone that's going to be engaged in your life, that's going to be with you forever. It's not distant and uninvolved. And then here's one of the things that hit me. is so crazy to see this. So he says, I'm going to send the comforter that he may remain with you forever. And what's the comforter's name? The spirit of truth. Now, here's what's interesting to me about this. The spirit of truth is our comforter, which indicates what? That the only way we will truly find comfort is when we live in the truth. Comfort comes when we know the truth. That's the role of the Holy Spirit in this passage. To reveal to us the truth about who Jesus is, and to reveal to us what is true. You see, what happens very often for many of us is that we pick and choose the parts of the Bible that feel comfortable to us. We pick and choose the pieces that aren't difficult. 
We pick and choose the pieces that we're okay with and we kind of discard, I believe this part, but I just can't believe that. This doesn't make sense to me. And the problem with that is that truth can't live only in me because what I claim to be true might be different from what you claim to be true. Truth has to live in a universal space. Green is green no matter what I call it, right? My truth is that this is green. That's false. It just shows that I'm living in ignorance. And when we move into this place where we're creating our own truth, we have, it, it, it just demonstrates that we're not living in truth and we're gonna live comfortless. And then he goes on, and this is really interesting to say, he's gonna send the comforter and the comforter is going to uh, be the spirit of truth. He's gonna guide us, help us understand who Jesus was as we move forward. And then he says, I won't leave you comfortless. I won't leave you as or- orphans. He wants relationship. He wants to move into this place where we're living in the daily place with the Holy Spirit in our lives, guiding us into truth. So he says he's sending the spirit. Well, what's the next step? Well, the next step is to be filled with the spirit. Once the spirit is here and available to us, if we don't accept it, then we're just living outside of the spirit. I want to look at Ephesians chapter 5, picking up in verse 15. This is really interesting. He says, be careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand that what the Lord's will is. Don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. And I just want to stop and pause at that's the end of the first sentence. It says, because these days are evil. You look at the happenings of this last week on Wednesday down in South Carolina. Is there any doubt that the world is evil? When you have a person walk into a church because it's a pillar of the African-American community in South Carolina, he hangs out, he's a 21-year-old kid, hangs out with about a dozen adults for about an hour, pulls out a gun and opens fire and says, I came here to kill black people. Racial hatred and a crime committed out of ignorance and pride and all kinds of stuff. There's no doubt. We have ISIS. You don't have to look far to understand this world is evil. When he says, be careful how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity. Then he goes on to say, don't get drunk on wine. That just leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Very interesting. This word filled in the writing, the original writing, it's written in what's called the present passive imperative. And it's really important to understand this. The present passive imperative means this. The imperative means it's a command from God. He's talking to those who are followers of Jesus. He's saying, he's not going, this might be a good idea. He might try this, maybe this, I don't know. It's worked for some people. No, no, no. No, What he's saying is if you call yourself my follower, you have to be filled. You have to be filled. It's a command. The second part is that it's present, which means it's a daily or it's something that happens regularly. It's not a one-time filling. It's a regular filling. You have to continually daily be filled with the Spirit. And passive means it's not something that we can do on our own. We receive it. So he's saying be filled with the Spirit. Well, how do you do that? A couple things I would just say. We know that the Holy Spirit, 2 Peter 1.21 says, uh, prophecy doesn't come from men. It comes from the Holy Spirit guiding them and they wrote the scriptures. So you want to be filled with truth. You want to be filled with the Spirit. Spend time reading God's word. 
fill your mind with that stuff. It was really cool. I had a friend call me this week and said, Mike, last time you spoke, you, said, you gave us a 30-day challenge where you said, hey, for 30 days, d- define a time or a amount of scripture you want to read and just do it for 30 days every day. And he called me and said, Mike, that was awesome. It's, it's been a really good thing for me. Thanks for challenging. And I'll put that out there again today. If you don't spend time in God's word, you're missing an opportunity on a daily basis to be filled with the Spirit. Because the Spirit is actually who wrote God's word. And what he's actually saying here in that last line, don't get drunk on wine which leads to debauchery, instead be filled with the Spirit. What he's really saying is stop trying to find and fill yourself with things that aren't true. See, we try and medicate ourselves with alcohol and all these other decisions, relationships, all this stuff. Stop filling yourself with that stuff and fill yourself with what is true. And what is true is the Holy Spirit. And I'll just tell you, I, you know, I'm, I know I'm coming on strong. I'm really passionate about this today. And part of the reason I'm so passionate because as I was preparing this, I realized in my life I spend so much of my time not seeking the guidance of the Spirit when I'm making decisions because I got it. I don't need the Spirit. And I'm wrong. I'm living in my own strength. And what ends up happening is we walk away from what is true and we fall in love with an illusion of what's true. Have you guys ever seen this show? There's a show on television called Catfish. So that's actually, apparently it's a verb, catfishing now. Anyway, I guess it always was a verb, but a different kind now. But what happens, this show is these people write emails to these, these two guys because they're having these online relationships for like years sometimes, a couple years. And what's happened is these people are hiding, catfishing is when you hide who you really are in order to hook someone into an online relationship. And so what these two guys do is they go around and they try and uncover the truth and find out, is this person a real person that you're dating? And the majority of the time they find out this, people have gone to great lengths and created these fake profiles and for years they're dating like online, spending, investing all this energy in an illusion. And they get to the end and they, you know, it, it's just, some, some of them are just terribly heartbreaking. But that's what happens when we fill ourselves with what's not true, when we don't believe the truth. We fall in love with illusions. 1 Corinthians 2, 10 and 12 says it this way, the spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. What we've received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. See, remember when it, in that first verse in John, it says the world doesn't recognize or see him. He's saying, you do when you receive him into your life. You can recognize the Holy Spirit and you can know him and you can have him present and active in your relationships and decisions and everything that's going on in your life. So here's the point. I, I'm not a good enough speaker to have three points. I have one point today. <laughs> a few years, I'll have three, two points and then three, but today I have one. And it's this. Here's the point. If we call ourselves followers of Jesus, if we call ourselves Christian, we must be transformed from self-sufficient to spirit-dependent. 
And I want to look at a passage that's found in, in Revelation. Now, Revelation is a tough book. It's a prophetic book, but it's, it's, it can be hard to read through. But I, I want to look at something. In the beginning, they write, he writes these letters to the seven churches, and the seven, these seven churches are actual churches. I've talked about this before. They're actual churches that existed, but not only the actual churches, they're representative churches of all of the kinds of churches that we have. Right? I, I don't mean like Catholic or, 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 or Baptist. Or, I don't mean that kind of thing. I mean representative of Christian churches and how they interact and how they relate in terms of their engagement in worshiping God. And the first six get commendations and condemnations. And it gets to the seventh church, this church in Laodicea, and there's no commendation for their behavior, only condemnation. Okay? I want to read this. Uh, picking up verse 14, it says this. Write this letter to the angel of the church of Laodicea. This is the message from the one who is the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's new creation. I know all the things you do, that you're neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other, but since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I'll spit you out of my mouth. That language for spit you out of my mouth, the original language is, means to violent, vomit violently. I'm not, it's not like, well, that doesn't taste good. No, violent vomit, vomit violently. Ah! And you gotta ask yourself, was this just some sort of random reference? Hot, like, where's that come from? Where's the hot and cold water? No, 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 no. This is really, really interesting. This isn't just some like ah, off-the-cuff analogy. See, what you need to understand is that Laodicea uh, was five miles south of this city called Heropolis. And Heropolis was known for its wonderful hot springs. And people would go and sit in these hot pools because they believed in the medicinal values of the bubbly water and the warm. And so people would flock there to experience the hot springs. And they also, seven miles to the east was a city called Colossae. And Colossae was this mountainous region that had all this spring and snow melt off. And they had kind of like our mountains, beautiful, clean spring water. And people would flock there to experience the water. But guess what? Laodicea had none of that. So what did they do? They built an elaborate canal system to bring the hot water from Laodicea and the cold water from Colossae. But the problem was, by the time it got to Laodicea, it was neither hot nor cold. It was tepid stinky, horrible water. <laughs> you ever have bad water? See, they tried to create this system that would give them the, the best of both worlds, but at the end, it was just nasty, tepid water. And so he, he's speaking specifically to their culture. You don't have what everyone wants, so I'm spitting you out because it's terrible. And here's what's interesting, that, that, that Laodicea was known for three things. They were very, very, very affluent, very, had tons of wealth. As a matter of fact, they were the center of banking in Asia Minor. And in, uh, uh, I think it was around 60 AD, there was a huge uh, earthquake that shattered Laodicea. And um, uh, it just, just created all kinds of, of uh, problems. And then Rome said, hey, we're going to send you money. And Laodicea said, we're good. We, we don't need your money. That's how wealthy they were. That's what they're known for. Second thing they're known for was this eye salve that they would put on eyes, kind of like a first century um, LASIK, I guess, or something like that, you know? You put it on your eyes, it would help you see, and they were known for that thing. And then the third thing they were known for was their clothing and their fabrics. It was like a fashion center. They had all this great stuff. And this, this is what happens. I just read from Revelation. Look at the next verse. He says this. You say, I'm rich, I've acquired wealth, and did not need a thing, but you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, 
blind and naked. The very things that they found their identity in, he speaks directly to to say, you don't have it. You're missing it. What had happened is they had taken on the character and the cult of their culture, and they had the name of God, the name of Christianity, but none of the power of the Spirit living in them. They began accepting and rejecting God on their own terms, on their, based on their own needs, their own interpretations. And they didn't recognize or receive the daily filling of the Spirit and live in their own strength and their own dependence on themselves. And I believe just like so many people who can crawl out of the box that we've relegated them to, if we're given half the chance, the Holy Spirit is saying, let me get out of the box you've put me in because I want to change your life. I just want to share one more story as we close, as I close this morning. I think begs us to take a step of faith and trust in the power of God and receive the full life he desires for us. And it's found in Luke chapter 8. And you may have heard this story. Picks up in verse 41. It says this, Then a man named Jairus, a leader of the local synagogue, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to, with him to his home. And his daughter, who was only about 12 years old, was dying. As Jesus went with him, he was surrounded by the crowds. A woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding, and she could not find a cure. Coming up behind Jesus, she touched the fringe of his robe. Immediately, the bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. Everyone denied it. And Peter said, Master, this whole crowd is pressing in up against you. But Jesus said, someone deliberately touched me, for I felt healing power go out from me. When the woman realized that she could not stay hidden, she began to tremble and fell to her knees in front of him. The whole crowd heard her explain why she had touched him and that she had been immediately healed. Daughter, he said, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Okay. Cool story. I want to just start with a couple things. First, what, what do we understand about Jesus in this moment? That without, he, he's, he's headed to help this 12-year-old girl, and as he's headed over there, this woman who's had this medical problem since that girl's birth, since that very time the girl was born, she's had a medical problem, she sneaks up, she's heard stuff about Jesus, she just touches his robe, and immediately without Jesus doing anything, the healing power goes out and heals her. What does that tell you about Jesus? His desire is for us to be healed in the very areas we're broken. He didn't even do it. He just was doing his thing. And when she came to him, she received the healing that she's been looking for. You read into this. She had expended all of her cash. She was broke. She had nothing, no other options. And she reached out to Jesus in that moment she was healed. Tells us he's good. But here's what's interesting. He, doesn't, he, he could have just kept walking. She's healed now, right? What does he do? He stops and says, who touched me? Finally, she says, it was me. Why did he do that? Because just the healing wasn't enough. I think he wanted to demonstrate that he wanted to be in relationship with her. He wanted her to be known. And then she admits, she tells everyone, listen, I want you to hear, here's what happened. I just got healed by the power of the Holy Spirit. And she'd heard things about him. She wasn't a follower of his, but in that moment, she was healed. 
Now, the band, you guys can come forward as we close this morning. But here's what I want you to hear. See, the interesting thing about this dynamic for me too is this. She touches his robe, she receives this immediate healing, and then how does she respond when Jesus finds her? She's trembling. She's in fear. It's because even after receiving the healing, she did not know who he was. But I'll tell you what she did right. She took the first step of faith and trust and said, I'm at least gonna believe in this much. And when she took that step to say, I believe her life changed in the moment. And she was transformed from self-sufficient to spirit-dependent. And I think some of us here today, we're just like that woman. We get to the point where we are desperate. You may be here this morning and you may be in that very place where you are absolutely desperate. You've exhausted all your options. Your life is not going the way you thought it would or you think it should. And you're out of options. And I'm just going to tell you, if you can just take that first step of saying, I believe the Holy Spirit. Okay, I'm going to trust that the Holy Spirit wants a relationship with me. And I'm going to take the first step of trusting him. I'm going to tell you that your life will change. And I don't know if you're dealing with fear or if you're struggling with pride or ignorance about your decisions about who Jesus is or what the Spirit wants. The, 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 the key is accepting him into your life and taking that first step and things will change at that point. But maybe, maybe I don't know, maybe you're like the Laodiceans. Maybe you're proud and you're saying, you know what, my, my issue is actually different. My issue is I got it. I'm covered. I'm good. I don't need this in my life. And I want to tell you that you're wrong. Just like the Laodiceans who had it all, they had nothing. Given half a chance, the spirit wants to crawl out of the box that we've put him in. Help us let go of our fear, our ignorance, our pride, our selfish ambition. So we're going to do our greeters are going to come forward and as we close we're going to take our offering again we just this isn't a time of pressure if you don't this is an opportunity to give back this, again a firm belief of this church is every single thing that you every single one of us have is a result of what Jesus is giving us and he asks us to give back just just return what he's given to us in, in portion I want you to feel pressured I'm just telling you what God's word teaches but I'm going to pray for us this morning. And I'll just tell you that after the service, if, you, if, if you're one of these people that you say, you know what, I feel that, I, I know what you're saying, I really want to take that step. There's a whole prayer team, we would love the opportunity to pray with you and talk with you and help you, help you move down that road. But pray with me as we transition here. Lord Jesus, we are in awe of your greatness and the spirit that you offer to us to lead us into truth, to understanding who you truly are, not our own made-up version of who you are, not our half-baked version, but the reality of who you are and who you desire to be in our life and the relationship you want us to be engaged with you in. 
You wanna give us access to God. You wanna inspire us. You wanna regenerate us, sanctify, empower, convict, liberate, lead, cleanse, commission, assure, anoint, intercede, produce fruit, mold our character, regenerate us, guide us, show us truth, fill us, seal us, strengthen us, teach us. Holy Spirit, we invite you into that place. Do those things in our lives. Do those things in this place today. We invite your spirit to have free reign because we know when the spirit does what only the spirit can do, it changes us. It changes what we see. It changes what we seek. You change who we are when we believe in you and follow you. Our prayer is that you would touch our hearts and make us different people as we leave today. Reveal the truth of who you are. We ask this in your name. Amen.